0: Our sermon text this morning is Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper... Then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedarwood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, we, we thank you for these, these passages that you brought us through on leprosy. We thank you for the understanding of sin and the pictures of sin, and we thank you, dear Lord, for the even greater picture of Of cleansing from leprosy and of cleansing from sin in the Old Testament picture of going outside the camp and of now of Christians who must live outside the camp some of these shadows are reversed some of them are inverted in a way yet so many of the shadows dear Lord they fall squarely on the world around us they they let us see the world exactly as it is they let us understand it and let us see the nature of sin May let us see the nature of redemption, dear Lord. May we understand the greatness that you have done. May we understand how your son came to cause an end to sin. May we rejoice in you this day. May we glorify your name. Amen.
1: So after we hear about leprosy and garments, the subject seems to change, or the subject changes. And when you think about it, it doesn't sound like it flows right. Right there, you talk about all the leprosy in people, all the different kinds of leprosy, how you have to treat it different ways, how you have to look at it in the bald head, and how you have to set them outside the camp, and all these other things. But then it talks about garments. And then it flips around and all of a sudden talks about what to do when somebody's cleansed of leprosy. And then after you talk about cleansing of leprosy, then it talks about leprosy in buildings. When you read this, this doesn't seem like a logical order. But of course, let's just be clear. God is a lot more logical than we are. So we have to assume that it is a logical order. So why put deliberately dealing with leprosy in people and being cleansed of leprosy in people after you talk about leprosy in clothes. Why talk about the leper being cleansed after you've talked about leprosy in clothes? I think the reason that God chose that order has to do with what you do with leprosy in a garment. Basically, leprosy in a garment, you have three choices. You can look at it and you can go, this isn't leprosy. You know, because it wasn't leprosy that it was in the garment. It was just leprosy on the garment and not in the garment itself. In which case, the garment is fine. The other two choices are you burn the garment or you rip the part out that's leprous out of the garment. Leprosy in a garment, all you can do is destroy the garment. You either destroy it and make it very different because it has a big hole in it now, or you just burn it. There is no hope for the garment if it has leprosy. There is no way to solve the leprosy in the garment. You can just reduce the scope of the leprosy or you can destroy the garment. But leprosy in a garment is the end of that garment as it was before. But that's not the same rule for men. If a man's leprous, think about what this passage is about. This passage is actually about a promise Because God doesn't say, if you're leprous, if you've been declared unclean, there's no hope for you like there is with the garment. If the garment's declared unclean, all you can do is cut it up or burn it. But if a man's declared unclean, if he has to walk around with his hand over his mouth saying, unclean, unclean, if he has to go outside the camp, God all of a sudden turns around and says, But let's go through what the process is when a man is cleansed of leprosy, when a man's healed of leprosy. Not how he is healed of leprosy, but how a leprous man who was declared unclean is now able to be declared clean. God doesn't give laws arbitrarily. He doesn't give laws that have no application. He didn't just give this law to say there'll be this this healing of leprosy that will never happen. He gave this law because he's saying there's hope that you can be healed of leprosy. The leprous soul that you have because of your sin is not a hopeless situation because God can cure you of leprosy. You are not like a garment whose choice is to be destroyed. There is cleansing of leprosy in men. When you look at the end of time in the parables in Matthew 13 where it talks about how Christ will come and he will take out everything that offends and those who practice lawlessness and cast them into hell. The things that are offensive get cast into hell. But the lawless can be made obedient to the law. The leper can be cleansed. People are different than the things and the evil things in the world. The evil people, God, Christ came to die for them for some of them, so that they can be cleansed. We are not like garments. God has given more value to men than he has given to garments. Remember, until Christ came, until he healed a leper, I think there were three lepers that had been cleansed before that. Probably the only ones in the history of the world. It's not like people got cleansed of leprosy a whole lot. Now leprosy is nothing. That's really important to recognize. Leprosy is nothing now. What we call Hansen's disease. Leprosy, you take a dose of antibiotic and it's gone. But leprosy then was a death sentence. Unless God chose to do something. And that's how everybody saw it. Remember the the lepers that were cleansed before. First of all was Moses. When he was before the burning bush, he stuck his hand in his garment and he came out and it was leprous. And then he stuck it back in and it came out and it was healed. So Moses, and everybody that was there, and everybody that saw this later, even though Pharaoh hardened his heart, because Moses did this in front of Pharaoh, everybody went, that has to be God. Because you didn't get healed from leprosy unless it was God. And then you have Miriam. Miriam was made leprous. And it appears that she was also healed, but she was still set shut outside the camp for seven days. But she had never been declared unclean, so these laws didn't apply. So it's unlikely that they would have ever done this process. Because she was probably cleansed right away. Moses prayed for her, and God said, Yeah, but if you spit or if your father spit in your face, that you would be ashamed for seven days so you'll be ashamed for seven days but she was probably healed from the leprosy right away so she was never declared unclean she would never have done this process and then you have naaman he's the the third naaman was dipped and was told by elisha that he should go dip himself in the jordan seven times and he dipped himself in the jordan seven times and his flesh was like a baby's flesh he was he was completely restored His flesh was healthier than it would have been for some man his age. But yet, he wasn't an Israelite. He couldn't do these. So these laws are given and these laws were never used. There's no reason to believe these laws were ever used until Christ comes and Christ heals a leper or he heals ten lepers and says, go show yourself to the priest. That's the first time that these laws were ever used. But these laws, by having the laws, there were a promise that someday they'd be used, that someday somebody would come, that someday a leper would be healed. Not like a garment. The garment would never be healed. But the lepers could be healed. And every time, every time, whether it was Naaman, whether it was Miriam, whether it was Moses, every time, everybody knew when the leper was. was healed that it was because of God everybody understood you know you go back to to Naaman when when Naaman comes and he sends the he get, brings a letter from the from his king and he brings the letter to the king of Israel in second kings five six and seven then he brought the letter to the king of Israel which said now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. What Jehoram says... When somebody comes to him and says, "Cleanse this man of leprosy," he goes, "Only God could do that." This is not a faithful man. Jehoram was a faithless man, and yet he had the faith to say, "Only God could do that." But then Jesus Christ comes. In every case in the Bible. It is clear. It is God who did that. Jesus Christ comes and he cleanses the leper and the Pharisees say, this is not the Son of God. Understand that their faith was worse than the faith of Jehoram. At least Jehoram would have went, it was the hand of God that cleansed Naaman. So when Christ comes and he heals the ten lepers and says, go show yourself to the priest. Go do what this passage is saying. That was a testimony to the priest. That was a testimony to the priesthood that Jesus Christ was the son of God. Because who can heal a leper except God? So when we see this passage, we should see this as a promise that God will intervene. This is just like in, in Genesis 3 where it says that he will strike your heel and you will crush his head. This is a testimony of the gospel. This is a testimony that God will come and heal lepers. Because otherwise, have a, why have a law that could never be used? It was a promise. The law has promises in it. And this was a promise. This was a promise, not just that he would cleanse physical lepers but he would come to cleanse spiritual lepers. Not all would be condemned to hell, which is what we all deserve. So with that, verses 1 through 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper... So it's interesting that when you see, you know, then the Lord spoke. We should always, that's, that's a break of some sort. That's a break from what came before. Either it could be a very short break where he's just, the, Moses in recording it is saying that there's a, a change of subject. There's a break here. But it could have been that it was, it was days later. But we know that the Lord spoke. And he spoke to Moses. At the beginning of chapter 13, when he starts to talk about these things, he speaks to Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron, Moses represents the civil magistrate, and Aaron represents the ecclesiastical magistrate, the head of the church versus the head of the state. And so when he resumes, and it's only speaking to Moses... That means that we should read this law, and even though it's the priests that do the work, that it's the civil magistrate's job to make sure these things happen. To make sure that the law is fulfilled. He's not saying it to Aaron who can't wield the sword. He's saying it to Moses who's saying, the person who's cleansed, this is what you force them to do. This is what they're supposed to do. So God's saying that the civil magistrates should have enforced it. Consider the passage where Christ heals the ten lepers in Luke 17:12 through 19. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well just as the civil magistrate was to enforce if the priest called him unclean, he should have inf- and should have enforced them covering their lip and saying unclean, unclean, and forced them to dwell separately. The Levitical priest could not force them to go make the sacrifices at the temple. It had to be someone with general authority, someone who could force them with the sword to obey. So for the ten leopards, lepers if they were not subject to Rome the ruler should have forced them to make the offering but of course the kingdom had fallen they had fallen after Babylon that they were not free men they served the Romans and so who was going to force the lepers to go and make the offering Christ did not say I am king go do the offering and force them which he could have because he was king but instead he just tells them to go their way. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law, this shall be the Torah. In Torah, when we think of Torah, it it does mean law, but the the word that it comes from means the flow. So the law is really saying this is how things should go, this is what the flow of things should be like. And so when you think about do not murder, do not commit adultery, this is the flow of how a society is supposed to be. That's what the Torah means. And so this is the flow of what's supposed to happen. This is the law of what's supposed to happen when a leper is cleansed. So this is the scenario of how a leper is to be treated, how things are supposed to happen, how God laid out for things to happen for the day of his cleansing. Even the language here implies supernatural, right? Because if you have a serious disease, even if you're healed from a serious disease, it takes a while. It doesn't happen in a day. I mean, I had hepatitis. Hepatitis wasn't that serious. It took me six weeks to recover from it. You even get a common cold, and a common cold takes seven to ten days to recover from Nobody gets cleansed from a serious disease in a day. That's just not how diseases work. Unless it's miraculous. And this is saying, in the day of his cleansing, when he gets cleansed, this is supposed to be what he goes and does. When his leprosy is healed, this is what he's supposed to go and do. So there's implied here is that that the healing is from God. It's no different than when Moses stuck his hand in his his coat and brought it out again and it was healed that's how the healing from leprosy happened that's how the healing from leprosy happened when christ spoke to the ten lepers that's how the healing from leprosy is implied in these verses it's the day of his cleansing think of skin conditions skin conditions take a while to heal but leprosy well all of its associated neurological effects for it to be inclined, to be cleansed in a day that implies that it's the work of God so then he shall be brought to the priest again this is being said to the civil magistrate which doesn't mean an individual couldn't bring them to the priest but it does mean that the, the civil magistrate is supposed to make sure that they're brought to a priest that formerly leprous man is to be brought to the priest. A person who is very cleansed of leprosy must be acknowledged in the broader society that they're cleansed. But we should also understand that they're not cleansed until they've gone through the process. They're healed, but they're not cleansed. So the process isn't complete. The society shouldn't consider him clean until after the process has been gone through completely. So clearly the civil magistrate needs to make sure that the now non-leper is seen and identified as such rather than, him still, rather than just being treated as if he had been cleansed without the process. It's after the process that the civil magistrate is supposed to say now you can live back in the camp. You're not separate from the camp. You know, it's like when you're saved, the church should be about the business of not just going, oh, I got a profession of faith from them. It should be about the business of making sure that they're baptized rightly, that they understand what baptism means, what they, that they understand the gospel, and that they've been examined to see that they're actually repenting of their sin, they're actually turning from their sin. They become a church member. That's when you go, this person's clean. You don't just go, they're clean because they made a profession of faith. So much of evangelism now is just get somebody to pray a prayer. If they just pray the prayer, they're clean. That's not the picture. That's not the picture of leprosy at all. The picture of leprosy is they're not cleansed until after they've gone through the whole process. Until the process is complete. So he's brought to the priest. The civil magistrate is to force him to go. They're supposed to make sure that they go and see the priest. Civil magistrate has the right to force them to, to show that they're clean. Then the priest shall go out of the camp. So, if someone brings them to the priest. They would have been outside, they would have been dwelling outside the camp at least. But they bring this formerly leprous man who has to cover <laughs> his, his lip and say, unclean, unclean. And they ha- they're to bring them in from outside the camp, probably to the priest. And then the priest immediately takes them outside the camp to examine them. Someone says that they believe that that they've been healed of the leprosy, or other people believe they've been healed of the leprosy, but that doesn't mean that they've been healed of the leprosy. There's a hope that they can come back into the camp, that they can be part of the camp again, but they're not yet considered part of the camp, so they're brought back outside. (coughs) picture is the picture of salvation where a person has made a profession of faith they're brought to the church but they're not considered part of the church they shouldn't be considered to be in the church until the rest of the process takes place until they're examined until they're washed until they're baptized that's when you say yes they're part of the church Because people desire to brag about how many people that they baptize. They don't want to examine it. They don't want to take them outside the camp. They don't want to say they're not part of the church. They want to go, you prayed a prayer, you're part of the church. You prayed a prayer, let's see how quick we can baptize you so that you can say you're part of the church so we can increase our numbers. God doesn't care about numbers. Few are those who find eternal life. God cares about the, the unleavened nature of his church not about how many people can you get the, how big can you get the lump to be. So they were to take the person, they were supposed to take them outside the camp and examine it, see if it's real, see if, if that leprosy truly has been healed instead of just going, oh, they prayed a prayer. They made a profession. They said that they're healed, so they must be healed. That's not what the role of the priest was. The priest's role was to examine them. The priest was to make a true examination you know they were wearing a, a robe they could see that their hands were no longer leprous they could see that their their face was no longer leprous but that doesn't mean that their leprosy was healed the priest was to examine their whole life they were to examine their whole body they were supposed to say is the leprosy really healed and when we remember that the leprosy is a picture of sin recognize that people clean themselves up all the time Look at Alcoholics Anonymous. They do this. They have people that have been there. They're not saved, but they're not drunkards anymore. So if you said they were a leper because they were drunkards, and then all of a sudden they stop drinking and they're no longer a drunkard, and you say, oh, they must be saved, that doesn't mean they're saved. They might have leprous spots all over their body. But we tend to go, oh, they they repented of that big thing without saying that they just shift it so that the leprosy is broken out someplace else on their body. The priest is supposed to examine them. The priest is supposed to look and say, has leprosy broken out? Are there other places that they need to repent of before you can say, yes, I believe that you have been cleansed by God. Yes, I believe that your sin has been healed. You can't say that if if you don't check other places for spots. This is the role of the church. It's not just for somebody to make a profession of faith and then nobody to examine them, nobody to care to see if they've really been healed. You're actually supposed to then examine them and talk to them and see what's the rest of their life like because maybe they did repent of a sin. That's a a good thing. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil but that doesn't mean that they're saved. That just means that that sin was cleansed. So we're supposed to examine the rest and say, but is there other serious sin in their life? Are they practicing sin in other areas? Are there other areas that they won't repent of? Because repentance unto salvation is repenting of everything. Not just repenting of the worst thing. We tend to see it as repenting of the worst thing. But that's not the picture of this. The picture of this is you have to examine them to see, are they still a leper? before you say they're clean and indeed you know when it's translated indeed it doesn't express any wonder i mean the word would entail wonder you know the king i like the king james translation better it's behold it's like see this that's what it's that's what it's expressing see this behold this this person who was a leper. There's nobody that's kinds of lepers except of leprosy except Moses, Miriam, and Naaman. So when you had that leper come and he's cleansed, the answer is you're supposed to go, this is amazing. This is amazing that his leprosy is gone. This is something that we should be shocked by, that we should look at and go, wow. Not just indeed he's cleansed of the leprosy. This is behold this. See this. See, see the amazing nature of this. This should be our response when somebody's saved. Luke 15, 7. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. When somebody's saved, heaven rejoices. Heaven goes, behold. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be amazed when a leper is healed when a spiritual leper is healed. Because it is a great mercy of God. It is a testimony of the power of God. It is is a miraculous thing because they could never do it themselves. So indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, if they see by examination that the leprosy is truly healed throughout the body and not just in certain parts, but it's healed throughout the body, then they're ready to start the process so that the community can say that they're cleansed they don't go oh you said you're healed till you're cleansed no that's when the process starts verses four and five then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed to living and clean birds cedar wood, scarlet and hyssop and the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water So then, the priest shall command. I think this is pretty significant. With the other pre, with the other sacrifices, the person who was making the sacrifice, the person who was making the sin offering, he would kill the offering, and then the priest would cut it up. In this case, the priest's hands are off of it. He just commands somebody else to do it. The person who is cleansed of the leprosy he's not supposed to do it the person who's who's the priest who's overseeing this he's not supposed to do it he's just supposed to command it and so as we think of this picture and we should think of this picture as substitutionary atonement that christ took on flesh he died he was the bird that was sacrificed so that the other bird could go free so that he's our substitute he's the one who receives our punishment so that we can go free and so and if we take this and we take how a leper gets to be cleansed understand that this is the priest and the priest is the one who's commanding it to be done he's not the one who's doing it and remember this priest is a he's of the levitical priesthood they didn't kill the christ but recognize they were the ones that commanded it to be done. The high priest, Caiaphas, is the one who commanded it to be done. That's how the bird was killed, was by the priest commanding it. Matthew twenty-six, sixty-one through 66. And said, the fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in, the, in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy what do you think and they answered he is deserving of death he is the one the priest is the one that caused the sacrifice he's the one who caused it he didn't do it he didn't lay his hands on jesus but he's the one that caused it to be done he's the one that said it's blasphemy he's the one who broke the law because it is illegal, it is against the law of God to tear your clothes, but yet the high priest tore his clothes to make the point to convince them that you have to put Jesus Christ to death. Leviticus 21:10 is very clear, the high priest is not allowed to tear his clothes for anything. Because of course, clothes are a picture of the righteous deeds of the saints, and Christ does not have any of his deeds torn. They are perfect. But the high priest breaks that picture so that he can sacrifice. So that he can cause Jesus Christ to be put to death, not by his hands, but by commanding it. So he's to command for, to take for him. So the, the high priest knew that, that he was commanding Christ's death for the nation. That's what it says in John 11, 49 through 52. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So when Caiaphas commanded that Christ be taken, when Caiaphas demanded that he be put to death for his blasphemy, he's fulfilling this prophecy. He's, he's saying, take for him. Take for the man, the leper who was cleansed, Christ, take that sacrifice and kill him. Kill him for the nation. Not just for the nation of the Jews. But not for all of the nations of the Jews, but for those of the remnant. Not for all the Gentiles, but for all those who Christ would save. Caiaphas, the high priest, commanded that Christ die for those who were to be cleansed. The sacrifice was specifically for those who would be cleansed. So, just as the sacrifice of Christ was not for all people, but for those who Christ, had, who God the Father and God the Son had covenanted together before the foundation of the world that they would be saved christ the high priest commanded that christ be put to death for those who would be cleansed that was the nation that the high priest was protecting even as he thought he was protecting the nation of the jews he was protecting the nation of those who christ would die for so he's supposed to take from two living two living and clean birds. So it requires that they be living. Obviously, it's hard to sacrifice one of them if they're not. But the point here is the picture of the exchange of life. The one bird dies so that the other bird can go free. That's the picture of the gospel. Christ died so that his bride could go free. Christ died so that each one who puts his faith and trust in Christ the slavery to sin is broken so that they can go free. That's the picture. That's the picture of substitutionary atonement that is in this cleansing of the leper. So they have to be living and they have to be clean. To be clean doesn't mean that they're better than other animals. It's not saying that, <coughs> that pork is worse for you to eat than beef because god said this is what's acceptable for me this is what i will accept as a sacrifice that's what makes it clean is it says this is an acceptable sacrifice to be clean means that god has chosen them to be acceptable offerings so the bir- both the bird that is sanctified who is a picture of christ has to be an acceptable offering to god But the bird that is let go, he also has to be an acceptable offering to God. God sets us free so that we can be living sacrifices. The freed bird is not allowed to go do whatever he wants. He has to be a clean bird. He has to be something that's acceptable to God for sacrifice. Then the other picture is that they're birds. When the Spirit descends on Christ, it's said to be like a bird. I think the bird is this picture of spiritual things right it's it's not just physical even though obviously the bird's physical but it's a spiritual picture because it can ascend up into the heaven into the first heaven they're not bound to earth like we are so it's not that picture of being earthly it's a picture of being heavenly the picture of being being spiritual and not just earthly so I think when you get this picture, you have the picture of the spirit of Christ had to be sacrificed in order for us to have a living spirit that could go free because we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And then it says cedar wood. Obviously, the things that are put in the blood with the bird were not put there for the cleansing of the leprosy. The leper was already healed. So they're put there so that we can understand the things that are associated with the cleansing of spiritual leprosy, because these are more like promises—promises promises that are associated with the cleansing of spiritual leprosy. And so, the first thing was cedar wood, right? The most important thing about cedar wood—I mean, you look at the trees first of all, right? They're huge, they're majestic, they're they're powerful, but that's that's not the most important thing. The most important thing about cedar wood is it doesn't rot. It's not like other woods. Insects don't eat it. It, doesn't, it lasts for a long time. That's why you line your closets with cedar, is it keeps the bugs out. And so it protects your clothes. That's why the temple was made with cedar wood. The tabernacle wasn't, but the temple was made with cedar wood because the temple is a picture of the eternal abode of God. As opposed to the tabernacle is the picture of God being with us now. And so you have cedar wood. And cedar wood is this picture of permanence. It's not permanent like a rock is, right? Rock has a bigger picture of permanence. But rocks don't have a beginning in that sense. I mean, the rocks that are like sandstone and like lava and stuff that decay really easily. Those that aren't long lasting. They might, we can look and say <coughs> they started at a time. But cedar trees, you can plant a cedar tree. It grows. It's a living thing. And so it's the longest lasting of the living things. And so I think that's the picture. It's a picture of something that becomes alive and then it has eternal life. It has, that's, that's the picture that you have with the cleansing of the leper is it's not this temporary thing. It's When you receive Christ as your substitutionary atonement, you receive eternal life. You know, David used it in the context of that contrast in Second Samuel 7, 1 and 2. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, I, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. So he's drawing the contrast. He's saying, I'm in a house of cedar. I have something permanent. And the ark of the covenant is in a house of curtains. It's still temporary. So permanence is what, what the cedar primarily represents. But I do think that we should consider the other thing, and I do think it's relevant, because cedar also has a very particular aroma. And So I think that we should also think of that, how that ties to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 16. For we are to, Christ, to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we see the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? The aroma of cedarwood drives off insects, but it attracts people that are living. And that's kind of the picture of what the gospel does. It's attractive to those who are alive, but to those who are dead, it drives them off. So, aroma of death to those who are dying, and the aroma of life to those who are living. That is a picture of cedar wood. And then scarlet. Scarlet, which the term itself comes from the insect that is crushed to, to produce the color of the insect. And it's a picture of luxury, it's a picture of riches, as the Bible used it in Proverbs 31, verse 21. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. Or in 2 Samuel 1, 24, O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. But the luxury we, we receive with Christ is not spiritual, or it's not physical luxury. Right? It's spiritual luxury. It's not, Christ didn't promise that we'd get wealth in this life. He had no place to lay his head. But salvation does result in a real sense of luxury. Mark 10, 29 through 30. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you that no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels shall not receive a hundredfold in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. There's a certain comfort and luxury in the Christian life. Not a luxury of goods, but a luxury of relationships. Especially if you look at our culture and you look at where America is going. America is going so that that teenagers don't even know how to talk to each other. They have no relationship. They can text. They have no relationship. All they do is FaceTime instead of actually speaking to people. this is what the gospel gives. The gospel gives real relationships with people, real people that they can call mothers and fathers and brothers, real people that I've been all over the world, and there's in, in every country I've gone to, about, I can think of one or two that I've gone to, where I couldn't go in and go, this is a brother. I couldn't go into their house and have an expectation that they would feed me and when you think about that that is incredibly remarkable that is an incredible luxury that is given in the christian life and that's the promise the promise is a promise of luxury not luxury like the world wants it but luxury in a much more important way that's what god promises that's what he promises in salvation a luxury of relationships not a luxury of goods but scarlet's a picture of luxury We shouldn't think that Christ did not come to give us life more abundantly. He came to give us life more abundantly. He came to give us luxury. With persecutions. Can't forget the word with persecutions because that's also there in the passage. And then the last is hyssop. The first reference in the Bible to hyssop is at the Exodus from Egypt. In Exodus 12, verse 22, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, And strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. This is about spreading the blood. It's also used in Numbers 19 about cleansing those who touch the dead. They were used to sprinkle the water that was made from the red heifer. From the ashes of the red heifer that was slain and burned. With cedar wood and other things. So this is a picture of the gospel. You know, according to Gil, hyssop was associated with purity in Egypt. But I think the picture is broader than that. Because it's about applying the effects to others. Like painting the blood on the doorpost. Or as it says in Psalm 51, 6-8, through eight, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that bones you have broken may rejoice seems to me that the picture of his, hyssop is is evangelism it's proclaiming the gospel it's spreading it it's not just keeping it to yourself spreading of the faith numbers 19 17 and 18 and for an unclean person they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burn for purification from sin and running water shall be put on uh, put on them in a vessel and clean person shall take the hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it on the tent, on all the vessels, on all the persons who were there, and on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. It was used for the clean, to cleanse the unclean. That's evangelism. And that's what hyssop's used for. And so we should think about when God made his death as a substitute for your death. He did it not just so that you could keep your faith to yourself. He did it so you could evangelize. He did it so that you could proclaim and you could purify the world around you. This is the responsibility of Christians. This is the duty. This is the idea that comes from Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And as is is written, the just shall live by faith. So the whole idea is that God gives faith to one person and then then other people get cleansed by that faith. By the testimony of that faith. By the life of living that faith. By the sprinkling of the water of hyssop. That's what I think the picture of hyssop is. It's the picture of having effect on people around you. The idea that everyone who is saved becomes a prophet according to Acts 2. All those who are saved become evangelists. That's the picture of Hyssop. Hyssop is about declaring who God is. Then the priest shall command. Again, it's not the priest doing it. It's the priest that's commanding, that's causing it to happen like Caiaphas did with Christ. The one of the birds. Again, this is a picture of substitutionary atonement one dying in the place of the other we deserve death we deserve eternal damnation we deserve the second death but Christ died so that we would not experience that death so one's dying in the place of the other so he was to take one bird which is the picture of Christ and that would be killed the blood must be shed but it must be shed in a specific way or that blood would not work for the cleansing of the leper The bird had to be cleansed in an earthen vessel. So again, when you think of the bird, you're thinking about a spiritual thing, but that spirit, the spirit of Christ, had to be put in an earthen vessel in order for the sacrifice of that bird to cause the cleansing of sin. Christ had to take on flesh. He had to become a vessel that was made of the dust of this earth. Otherwise, the leper wouldn't be cleansed. When we think of the incarnation, the point of the incarnation was so that he could become like us, so that he could be a substitute for us at our death. Or at his death, he could become a substitute for our death. So that he could become that substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. Then it had to be killed over running water. And that word running really means living. So when we hear this about running water, living water, I think it's worth thinking about the Samaritan woman at the well. In John 4, 10 through 14, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Being killed over living water is tying his death, tying the shedding of the blood of Christ to the giving of the Holy Spirit, to the fountain of water that that springs up in the heart of everyone who believes, that causes the living water to come forth so that you receive eternal life. And so the practical way they would do this picture is they would have a big piece of pottery And as somebody poured water into the pot, or they should have done it, right? We don't know of any time that they ever did this. But as they were pouring the water into the pot, they would put the bird down inside the pot, and they would snap its neck, they would rip its head off so that the blood poured out. But it's not much blood. But now you have this blood mixed with water. And you know that, this had to be it, because at first I was when it says overrunning water, the other way would be you would take an earthen vessel and then you would hold it over a river, you would go stand in a river and you would kill the bird in the over the river and it would be overrunning water, but bird doesn't have enough blood in it to be able to dip it, to be able to baptize it. So the water has to be poured into the pot so that you have enough to dip the other bird in it, because it is the word for baptism. They are baptized in the blood, that other bird. It is dipped. It is not sprinkled with. The bird is dipped. And so they had to be pouring the water so that it was living, it was moving water when they killed the bird and drained the blood from the bird into into the bottom of that pot where the water would have been. Then verses 6 and 7. As for the living bird, he shall take it the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them in the living wo- bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. So as for the living bird, for the bird that represents the one who is set free through the death of the other. He shall take it he shall take that bird after the bird was killed this is what the true high priest does the priest of the order of Melchizedek does this since the Levitical priesthood would do the type of, of killing God actually does the washing and he's the one who actually causes the blood to be applied and causes the people to go free So he would take the bird, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, all those things that were associated with the substitutionary atonement, the promise of permanence, the promise of abundant life, the promise of of transferring your faith to others, of preaching the gospel. They're taken with the bird and all of them are dipped. That word "dip" means submerged. It's baptism. They were baptized just another there's so many pictures of baptism in the old testament it's so weird that people want to associate circumcision with baptism in the new testament when there's so many pictures of baptism in the old testament and i think this is a picture of baptism of the holy spirit right because the bird is representing your spirit and your spirit is dipped in the blood of jesus it's dipped in the in the water that comes from the 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 living water the holy spirit and then you go free It's baptism of the Holy Spirit that causes us to walk in the newness of life, that causes us to live a life that's walking in righteousness rather than in sin. So it's dipped. Obviously, the running water had to be in the pottery so that there was enough to dip it. To dip the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop. So there had to be a lot more water than there was blood. There's not that much blood that comes out of a chicken or out of a bird. These would have been smaller birds than that. But you can't like dip these things in the blood out of a bird. It's just not enough blood. So there had to be a lot more water. There had to be an abundance of water. And so they dipped them in the living bird. The picture of their spirit being dipped, being baptized. In the blood of the bird that was killed. The picture of the blood of Christ. That's what cleanses us from sin. So even though there's water mixed with it, even though it's the work of the Holy Spirit, that picture of the Holy Spirit being involved, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's His being our substitute that allows us to have eternal life, that allows our soul to go free. That's what caused the Spirit to be free. Even though you have the water, it's the blood that's the effective part for the, for the, for the freedom it's over the running water. The running water is the picture of the Spirit of God. When we're saved, our spirit is set free through the sacrifice of Christ. But it's also we're dipped in the water. We're 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 made clean. We're made our our power of sin in our life is washed away, so that we're free to serve God. And so that's the picture of substitutionary atonement. And then he shall sprinkle it. So he dips the the bird, the cedarwood, the scarlet, and the hyssop. And I think he takes the things that are dipped and he sprinkles with them the person who's actually cleansed of leprosy. He sprinkles them with that blood and water mixture off of those things seven times. Seven times to be associated with the bird. That leper is being associated with the bird who's been set free. It's to make it, that that seven times is that perfect association so that spiritually they're free even as they're physically in a body spiritually they're free so seven times on the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy notice he's still not considered clean until the blood and the water the picture of the blood of christ the picture of the giving of the holy spirit has been applied to them he still needs to be cleansed he's still not clean and then, once the sprinkling happens seven times, then he shall pronounce him clean. After the sprinkling, only then is the person actually cleaned. Even though his leprosy was he- healed, even though you know, before the sprinkling of the blood, that's a picture of repentance the cleansing of the leprosy. Repentance must happen, and repentance, God works repentance in us. And we start to repent before we're actually clean before we actually receive the Holy Spirit, before the blood of Jesus Christ is actually applied to us, we're already turning from our sin. The leper can be seen to be being healed. Not that it means that it wasn't God who did that. Faith is a gift of God. Repentance is a gift of God. This is all the work of God. But people can repent from their sin before they're healed, before they're clean in the eyes of God. Repentance must happen before salvation. And obviously it continues after salvation because we continue. We're never a leper. We never have a disease in our skin that people would go, oh, they're a leper. But we still get sores. We still get spots in our skins. We still need get scabs. This is a picture of the person who's no longer a slave to sin. But yes, they still sin. But if it's covering their whole body, if it's growing in their body... That's, that's the sign that they're a leper that they're not saved that they're unclean as opposed to just sores that people get because of being in this world so only after the person is clean is the bird let go and then they shall let the living bird the bird represents the spirit of the person then they're free then they're no longer bound the carnal man becomes the spiritual man and they're loosed in the open field the bird is let to go fly in an open field not just anywhere because the picture is that we've been given a field the picture is that we're loose we're loose to go serve god we're not loose to just fly off we're loose to actually do the work that god would have us to do we're not loose so that we can escape service we're loose to do the service we're loose to to go work in the field that God has given us to work in. So let me give you some applications. First is remember why God gave the picture of leprosy. It was so we could see what sin was like. And for as long as it was needed for ceremonial purposes, it could not be cured. The gospel comes and it's no longer ceremonial, so now there's an antibiotic and you take the antibiotic and you're cured right away leprosy is nothing now it's literally like nothing now but that's because ceremonial law has passed away before the ceremonial law passed away it could not be cured lepers were expected to die of their leprosy if you got it it was incurable now it's cured in a day or two but that's because God no longer needs the physical picture because he's given us the spiritual picture through christ he's given us this picture of the the lamb of god our substitutionary atonement being killed and the holy spirit being poured out so we don't need to worry about leprosy the same way anymore but it's important for us to see sin the way that they saw leprosy only god could cure it and everybody was leprous everybody's leprous in their sin And it's only God that can cure it. And it destroyed their community with people. It destroyed their being able to live with people. All the things that leprosy did is a picture of what sin is. And there was no hope for curing except for God. There's no hope for curing you being a slave to sin except God. He's the only hope. He's the only way that you can be cleansed. And when we think about leprosy recognize that they would be afraid of a leper they would move away from somebody who was leprous they were supposed to cover their mouth and go unclean unclean so that everybody would know to avoid them do we look at this at sin the same way that we would look at that they would look at leprosy leprosy was a picture of sin so that we would look at it this we would look at sin the way they looked at leprosy or do we think yeah yeah sin's not that big of a deal They would walk the other side of the street if a leper came down. But we go, oh, sin, it's not that big of a deal. We can come right up next to it. That's not the picture of leprosy. The picture of leprosy is it kills, and it's permanent. And that's how we should think of sin. Another application, the leper is cleansed. But he should not be seen as cleansed until the pictures are observed. It's true today; someone can be saved. They can appear to be clean, but it's really when they submit to the ordinances of the church that's when people should say they're Christians. There's so many crusades that people do, and they do an altar call and they get people to come down and they get people to to pray a prayer, and then they go. They're Christians that's not the biblical picture at all biblical biblical pictures they need to be examined the biblical picture is that 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 they need to have a priest involved the biblical picture is that the whole process needs to be done so much of evangelism now has nothing to do with the church well that's not evangelism That wasn't the cleansing of the leper. The leper could say, look, I'm healed, but they weren't considered to be clean. They weren't considered to actually be fully healed and acknowledged by everybody that they were healed until the church at the time, the priesthood had done what it was supposed to do. And that's what we're supposed to do. The people who evangelize and then they go and they don't evangelize to try to get them into a church, they haven't really evangelized. They haven't really cleansed people. They haven't really completed what they were supposed to do it's the whole process after the whole process that they were considered clean they weren't just considered clean because they said look my leprosy is healed they were considered clean after they were examined and after the process was gone through and very related to that, the next application is evangelism that just witnesses to the person without follow-up is not sufficient to make them clean, and we should have no idea that we made them clean. It requires, they have to be brought into the church. They have to become part of a church. Jesus Christ died for his church, and to think that somebody can make a profession of faith and then not be involved in the church, that makes no sense. Now maybe there's experience very strange exceptions where there is no faithful believers in an area but that's a very strange exception <laughs> evangelism should be about not just preaching the gospel to them but getting them into a church because that's what the whole process is required for them to be clean people profess faith they're like the leper who claims to be clean but he has to be brought to the priest. He has to be examined. The process has to be gone through. He has to, now, it's not the bird that gets dipped. They get dipped. That's part of the process before you say, this person's cleaned. True evangelism is not about getting a profession of faith. It's about following through the whole process. Another application, salvation, i.e. bringing a leper inside the camp should be considered a serious thing. We understood the power of sin, the ability for it to spread. With leprosy, they were very careful. Are we equally careful about sin? With leprosy, before they brought a leper into their camp, they're really going to examine him. They're really going to say, have you been cleansed? We should do the same before baptism. We should be examining the prospective candidate and making sure their testimony is that the leprosy was healed. It's proper to ask questions about their life. It's proper to say, how has it changed? It's proper to look and see, are there still places where, where they're slaves of sin? Not that they're perfect, because nobody's perfect. But it's very easy for the leprosy to be cleansed in one spot and there, there still be a leper in the rest of their body. The church has a responsibility to stop for leprosy from entering into the camp. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore purge out the old lemon that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, if indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. If Christ was our Passover, if he was sacrificed for the church, then how should we be protecting the church from bringing lepers inside of it? Spiritual lepers, we need to recognize that that we have to be careful not just to put them out, but careful about bringing them in. We have to have a greater expectation of what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like. Another application: God gives us promises for those who believe. He gives us promises that those who He started a good work and He will finish it. Salvation is like the cedar wood; it will not decay. It does produce an aroma. It will bring us to the end. It's not going to go away. If God has truly saved us, one of the promises of salvation is it's like cedarwood. Another promise is he'll give us blessings in this life. John 10, 9 and 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly christ promises us, us abundant life not just an eternal life but he promises us abundant life now that's the picture of scarlet is he promises us a good life now not that it doesn't have persecution not that it doesn't have suffering but that there's real blessings in this life the blessings of this life according to the world are things like power the fulfilling of the lusts of the flesh having money having control over people The spiritual blessings that are far greater righteousness, peace, and joy. Those are the true blessings. That's how you have abundant life. Because in the midst of persecutions, if you have peace, if you have joy in the midst of persecution, you have abundant life even as you're being persecuted. In the world, persecution has to be against a luxurious life. In Christianity, persecution is not against a luxurious life. Paul says, look... I've abased and bound, I've been stoned. I've been left for dead. I've been shipwrecked. And in all things, I learned contentment. He had an abundant life. He had scarlet. That's what God promises to us, is a luxurious life. Not luxury as the world declares it, but luxury as God declares it, righteousness, peace, and joy. And he gives us purpose. We're the ones to spread the gospel. We're the ones so that people can see the glory of God We're the ones that will cause the world to have the knowledge of the glory of God. That's the promise that he gives the church. That's the promise that he gives to believers is that people will see the glory of God through you if you're faithful. If he's working in you, if he's changing you, if he's sanctifying you, if he's causing you to walk in his ways, the world will see the glory of God in you. They'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the promise of the gospel. He did not die just so that we could go free. He gave us things that he promised that we would go free with. A luxurious life, a purpose in our life, and that we have the promise of eternal life. That's what his substitutionary atonement came with. Another application, we should not forget the abundance of the Spirit that was given to us. When we talk about being covered by the blood of Christ, when the bird was dipped, the picture of the efficacy was because of the blood, but more of what it was dipped in was the living water. The picture of the Spirit of God giving to us is largely lost in the church, as it has been repeatedly for the last 2,000 years you go back and you like look new light and the idea of new light has come over over and over and over again and new light is the same thing that jesus christ said in most cases is the same thing that jesus christ said to nicodemus don't you know you must be born again you must be born again this is the message that the church needs to have the message has to be the holy spirit has to be working in you to be saved because everyone who who is saved they've been baptized in the holy spirit they're a changed person they live in a different way and this is the promise this is the picture of substitutionary atonement is yes we're forgiven through the blood of christ but we're set free through the power of the holy spirit we're washed through the power of the holy spirit that's how we're set free that's how how we have abundant life that's how we fulfill our purpose in life this is This is the picture. This is how significant it is that we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and not just baptized in the blood of Christ. And last, salvation is having the leprosy dealt with. Leprosy is a picture of sin. If you're still covered with leprosy, you haven't been sprinkled by the blood of atonement. You haven't been baptized by the Spirit of God. Your spirit has been made free if you're actually cleansed of your leprosy leprosy is sin the power of sin has to be broken in your life in order for you to be saved And like I said it doesn't mean that you know you look at my hands and I have scabs on them I have cuts on them it doesn't mean that I'm a leper because I have scabs and cuts that's the picture of he who says he has no sin the truth doesn't abide in him the truth of not being a leper is do not be deceived little children Those who practice righteousness are righteous. No leper gets into the kingdom of God. None. Because the power of God is that he cleanses you of leprosy. He cleanses you of the power of sin. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're no longer lepers. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we're no longer lepers. Let's not pretend like you can have leprosy and be part of the church. That's not what God says. That's not the picture. That's not what substitutionary atonement does. It causes our spirit to go free. Let me close it in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for where you have us. We thank you for these great pictures of leprosy. Lord, let us see sin as dangerous as they saw lepers. Let us not think that we can just ignore sin. Let us not think that we can just play around with sin. Any more than they would think that they could ignore a leper instead of making him dwell in a separate place lord let us let us take sin the way you take sin let us also take your promises let us take the promise of eternal life let us take the promise of of being your servants that were created for good works that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in. let us take the promise that you will give us abundant life and let us live as if we believe the promises let us live according to these promises for that is faith faith is walking in the promises Abraham believed the promise of God and it was accounted to him for righteousness help us to to live as we believe these promises let us live in that way because that is where true joy is that is where true peace is that's where true righteousness is Let us live in the way that you have us to live. Let us live in accordance with being cleansed of our leprosy so that we can serve the living God. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.